Show of hands this morning, how many of you remember WWJD? Oh yeah, what does that, what is, what does that stand for? Yes, I think that was a, a 90s thing when it, when it first came out and um, maybe still around a little bit, I don't know. Um, but that's sort of what we are going to be talking about this morning. Uh, I'm not saying that we're going to bring that back here at New City. Uh, we don't have... We don't have any bracelets at the bar or anything like that. Um, in the 90s, I remember this being mostly uh, applying to the do's and don'ts in life, right? Like, like Christian morality. What would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do in this situation? Would, would Jesus listen to that music? Would Jesus watch that television show? What, what would Jesus do in the face of temptation? That, that's the way I remember um, WWJD. And those are all fair questions um, to ask, uh, but, but that's not exactly where we're going this morning. Um, this morning, we're continuing in our series, um, Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at Holy Spirit BC, Holy Spirit before Christ, the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the Old Testament before Jesus came and took on flesh. Uh, This week, we want to look at Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? So we've talked about who the Holy Spirit is. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit before Jesus, and now we want to look at the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And the title of the message is WWJD. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So I'm really hopeful that this makes sense as we go along this morning. And um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask if you would pray with me that that would be the case, right? That the Lord would help us this morning, um, that the Holy Spirit would be good to teach us this morning and make sense of my mess. Will you all pray that with me? Yeah. All right. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, uh, for your goodness. I thank you that, um, that your work in the lives of your people is not dependent on me. And uh, Holy Spirit, um, we pray together this morning that you would be good in our midst, uh, that you would do the work that you do, that you would open our eyes, that you would soften our heart, that you would teach us and help us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would do all the things that you, that you do. Um, I pray that, uh, that, that you would use our time together uh, for the good of your people, for the good of your church, um, that you would be far better than the words that I've put together this morning. Um, have your way with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I want to start this morning with some theology and lay a theological foundation, if you will, and then move to some personal application. And I will tell you, like every week, there's always a lot, and uh, this is another one of those weeks where there's a lot, uh, a lot to say and a lot to take in, so we're going to move pretty quickly through a lot of it, I hope, uh, and, then, and then settle into um, some application for us when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So let's start here. Jesus is the second Adam living the perfect human life. One of the passages that we read a few minutes ago uh, was about that, Jesus being the second Adam. 
Um, Last week, we looked at the big story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We talk about it a lot here at New City. Um, God, the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we talked about creation, uh, all present and creating in the beginning. Um, God, the the Trinity, our triune God, created, um, and he created Adam and Eve and placed Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Creation was good. And, and God, after creating Adam and Eve, making this garden for them, placing them in the garden, it gave them everything that was in the garden except for the fruit of one tree. God told them, don't eat the fruit from this one tree. In the day that you do, you will surely die. Um, that's creation, and creation was good. The fall, we, we've talked about, right? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The fall came when Eve was tempted by um, and she took of the fruit, and she ate of it, and then she turned. Adam was there with her, watching on. She turned and gave the fruit to Adam. Adam took of the fruit, and, and in that moment, sin entered into the world, and everything was changed by sin. Now, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, the first Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the man who was to come. Now, Adam, Adam failed to love and follow God. The first Adam failed to love and follow God. He failed to obey God. And and through him, what we read and see in the Bible, through him, sin entered the world, and and not just the world in general, but, but sin enters us, and sin is passed on to every person after Adam. Paul tells us, though, that there is a second Adam. The first Adam failed, failed to love and follow God, sinned, and and through him, sin entered into the world. Uh, There is a second Adam, another man, human in flesh, who did everything that Adam failed to do, and, and through him comes not unrighteousness like the first Adam, not not sin like the first Adam, but but righteousness and justification. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Where, where the first Adam's sin cast humanity into this state of eternal separation and condemnation from God, the second Adam, Jesus 
through his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection, he offers us through faith the free gift of righteousness, the righteousness that is required for us to be with God. In other words, through, through faith, through faith, we are set free from the curse of the first Adam to receive the grace of the second Adam, Jesus. The first Adam's failure we inherited by birth. Through faith and our new birth in Christ, we receive the righteousness and justification that we need from Jesus, the second Adam, right? This is good news. This really is the good news of, of the gospel. Creation, fall, Jesus redeems, and Jesus restores. Now, when we talk about restoration in that creation, fall, redemption, restoration narrative, oftentimes we, we think about the end restoration. We, we, and we should. We look forward with hope to the time when Jesus returns, restores all things as they were meant to be. We look forward with hope to that time. No more sin, no more suffering, no more death. A beautiful promise that we have. But the truth is, restoration is not just something that will happen sometime down the road. Restoration begins now. Restoration begins the moment that we believe and trust in Jesus. We call it sanctification. It's a process, really. Sanctification, really what sanctification means is that more and more we are being shaped into the second Adam rather than the first Adam. Sanctification is this process that when we become believers, we begin more and more to take on the image of the second Adam, Jesus, more than the first Adam. So, so we are being shaped into the image of Jesus, right? This is, again, theological truth here. We are being shaped into the image of Jesus. One place that we see that clearly um, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul has been talking about how the Israelites were unable to see the glory of God when it was on the face of Moses. Their eye, uh, Moses was veiled, um, and, and they couldn't see the glory of the Lord. But Paul writes of us, believers, those who love and follow Jesus. He writes this, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, when one becomes a believer, when one trusts in Jesus, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So now, as believers, we, we behold the glory of the Lord. And beholding the glory of the Lord, Paul says, we are being transformed. This is, again, that sanctification. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. What is inferred here is that we are being transformed into the image of the glorious Jesus that we look at. Now that is made clear in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right? We are being shaped, conformed to the image of his Son. Restoration to be who we were intended to be at the beginning of creation before sin entered into the world. 
Um, something, something that happens, this restoration is something that, that happens now as believers, something that, that has already begun when we believed in him, right? It starts the moment that we become believers. It is this process that we will be in until we see him face to face. So let me put these two together for us and, and hopefully make sense of it. So the, the first Adam we are introduced to in the beginning chapters of the book of Genesis. He fails to love and follow God. He, he, he sins taking of the forbidden fruit in the garden. And through him, through the first Adam, all of humanity is condemned because of sin. And his sin nature is passed on from generation to generation to generation. He failed to love and follow God, and that sin is passed on to us. But there is a second Adam, and this is the good news of the gospel. This is a beautiful thing. There is a second Adam, Jesus. And and Jesus, who came as a man, who took on the flesh of humanity, succeeded in every way. Everywhere that Adam failed, Jesus succeeded and more. He lived the perfect life of loving God and loving others. He lived the perfect life of following God that we were meant to live. He was the first and the only perfect human being. He perfectly bears the image that we were meant to bear. Are you with me? The good news is that one day when he returns, we will all be transformed finally and fully into the image that we were meant to bear before sin entered into the world. But also good news, right now we are being shaped into that image. Right now, now in the present, as followers of of Jesus, as believers, we should be in this process of being transformed more and more into the image of that perfect human who was Jesus. Now, stick with me, please. Sometimes when we think of being conformed into the image of Jesus and what that looks like, again, we immediately go to the morality of Jesus. Jesus was perfect in morality without a a doubt, not sinning. And so sometimes we think of the same thing uh, of ourselves. When we think of being shaped into the image of Jesus, we think of maybe the sins in our life, the things that we do that we shouldn't do or we don't do that we should do. And, and, And that is a part of this sanctification, how we live our life for sure. But I want to talk about something that we maybe have never thought of before. Jesus walked in the spirit and so should we. This is part of what it means to be shaped into his image. If Jesus was the perfect human, then the relationship that he had with the Father as a human should be the relationship that we have with the Father, right? That might be an easy one to see. We maybe have thought about that before, but the same is true of the Holy Spirit. If we're being shaped into the image of Jesus, then the relationship that, that, that he had with the Holy Spirit, our relationship should look like that. So let's take a look at that relationship quickly. And, and this is by far not exhaustive. It has to be a quick run through just to make the point. Um, so so let's, let's look at this. Jesus was born of the Spirit. 
Jesus was born of the Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.35 tells us the same thing. Now, Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit. Some good news for us, if you are a believer in Jesus today, you too are born in the Spirit. And you should know that, right? Like um, in John chapter 3, we talked about this last, last week. I'll read the verses. Um, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. So Nicodemus is asking Jesus about, about the kingdom and about who Jesus is. And, and Jesus says that a person cannot see or be a part of the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus is confused by that and he's thinking physical rebirth. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born of the Holy Spirit. And so for those of us who believe, for those of us who love and follow Jesus, for those of us who see the kingdom now and will see the kingdom in that final day, uh, we have been born of the Spirit. This is, this is confirmed in Ephesians 2. Where, where, where Paul writes about our rebirth as this gracious work of God, we were dead, right? Like dead, completely dead in our trespasses and sin. And we have been made alive. We have been given this rebirth, this new life through the Holy Spirit by God the Father. Same is true in Ezekiel 36. God talks about how he will give to his people a new heart. He will give to his people a new heart, removing the heart of stone and giving his people a heart of flesh. He talks about in verse 27 um, of Ezekiel 36, God says that he will put his spirit in them. So like Jesus, as believers, um, we are born of the spirit. We are reborn by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is born of the spirit. Jesus was anointed with the spirit. Uh, Matthew 3 and Luke 3 tell us about John the Baptist. Uh, when he baptized Jesus, Luke wrote this, um, beginning in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, this visible presence, this was the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus um, at his baptism. And it, 
the Holy Spirit came in the, in the form of a dove so that everyone could see that the Spirit was anointing Jesus. So everyone present could see it, so there would be no doubt. It, God even spoke, so the people heard the voice of God saying, You are my son, with you I am well pleased. Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove and lighting on, on Jesus. Jesus was being visibly for all to see anointed by God. This was a demonstration of God's presence with Jesus, his approval of Jesus, and showing the people that this Jesus is my son whom I am well pleased with him, but also he is my representative. That's what this was all about. Now, another bit of good news for us this morning, if you are a believer, you too have been anointed by the Spirit. This is good news. Now, maybe not with the visible presence of the dove. Maybe the heavens didn't open up and God spoke for everyone to hear. But you have been anointed as a believer nonetheless with the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, Paul writes, For in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slave, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And what Paul is saying is, um, no, matter, no matter who we are as believers, we all receive the same Holy Spirit. In, 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 in verse uh, 13 of Ephesians 1, we've read this one. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And verse 14 says that you will remain sealed until the day of your final redemption. Right? This, as we've already talked about, this, this sealing of the Spirit, of the Spirit, this anointing of the Spirit, this, this being filled with and the indwelling of the Spirit is God's presence with us. This is God's stamp of ownership and approval on us as his children. Same as Jesus received, we received. We are marked like Jesus was marked as his representatives um, and, and those, side note to my charismatic, now well pleased in. Now, I, I want to say this as a little side note to my charismatic friends this morning. What I have just very quickly described to you from the Old Testament to the New Testament is a description of what it means to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are all anointed with the Holy Spirit. Being anointed with the Holy Spirit it isn't something that only a few people receive. We are all anointed with the Holy Spirit. It's not a dramatic super event, right, where, where there is the rush of wind and the speaking of tongues and, and all of that. that that's, that's not what an anointing is, right? We are all anointed. We have all received God's stamp of approval and sealing with the Holy Spirit. We are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. So that's, that's all of us as believers. We are the anointed. So Jesus was born of the Spirit. Believers are born of the Spirit. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit. Believers are anointed with the Spirit. Now remember, we're talking about um, the, the life of Jesus with the Holy Spirit and how we should be shaped into his image. So far, so good for us. As believers, we are like Jesus. We are reborn by the Spirit. We are anointed by the Spirit. Next, we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit. 
Immediately after Jesus' baptism and the anointing of of the Spirit, Mark writes in um, chapter 1, verse 12, that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, Luke says essentially the same thing, but that Jesus was led into the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that Jesus would be tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was led there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him, and Jesus followed the Holy Spirit. Now, this wasn't just a Jesus thing, the leading by the Holy Spirit. Um, In Acts chapter 16, uh, we talked about this one as well. The Spirit was forbidding Paul from taking the gospel to Asia at one time. This was the Holy Spirit leading Paul not to go into Asia. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, um, we, we read, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. Right? So Philip is traveling. There's a chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch in it. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, Hey, Philip, go over and talk to the guy. Go over and join that chariot. Philip did that, shared the gospel with the man. The man became a believer. And that's how the gospel went to Ethiopia. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit led Jesus, led Jesus into the wilderness. Um, And and after 40 days, we read in uh, Luke 4, verse 14, it says this, Jesus returned after he came from the wilderness. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country. So Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness. He followed the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was also empowered by the Spirit. Um, The ministry, as we know of Jesus, was not a normal ministry. It was a supernatural ministry. Um, His teaching, his teaching was such that people were amazed. Like People were like, who is this guy teaching? People came from miles and miles around, thousands of people, to hear the amazing teaching of Jesus. They were awed that he could teach the way that he did. In this same chapter of Luke that I was just reading, chapter 4, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, again, early in his ministry, just getting a good start with his ministry. He's teaching in in the synagogue. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he reads this, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are a pressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, it, it was not many verses later in Luke that we, that we begin to read of all of the healings that Jesus did, right? He, he begins healing people. He begins casting out demons. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we are told that Jesus healed not by his own human power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus that was healing. It was the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus that was casting out demons. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, empowered to teach, empowered to heal, empowered to cast out demons. Jesus was also strengthened by the Spirit. 
We, we read this verse last week, Hebrews 9, verse 14. The writer is comparing the sacrifice of Jesus with the Old Testament um, sacrifices that had been conducted with goats and bulls. And he writes this, beginning in verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a, a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, what I want to focus on there is who through the, through the eternal spirit offered himself. Through the eternal spirit, Jesus was able to offer himself. It was the spirit, the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus who strengthened Jesus. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. I, I, I think, in part, we would have to see Jesus offering himself um, in, in his suffering. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews had in mind, talking about the suffering of Jesus and the death of Jesus. The Spirit strengthened Jesus. Think back to Jesus in those last days, especially at, at the night, the night that he prayed in the garden. It was the Spirit that strengthened Jesus in the garden to go through with this plan that he dreaded. He, he was so anxious and worried as he prayed that he was sweating drops of blood. And, and, and in that, praying to the Father, if, if, if you would, God, take this cup away from me. Right? If, it's, if it's your will, God, please, I would rather not have to go through this. And yet the Holy Spirit strengthened him as he agonized in the garden before his arrest. The Spirit strengthened Jesus as he stood trial before, before all of the hate-filled religious leaders and the, and the Jews and, and the people who came as witnesses to lie and testify against him. It was the Spirit that strengthened him. To remain silent. The Spirit strengthened Jesus as he, as he stood before Pilate and as he was beaten nearly to death. It was the Spirit that strengthened him to carry his cross to the hill. The Spirit was with Jesus and, and strengthened him as he was nailed to the cross. And even as he cried out, it is finished. It was the Spirit there with Jesus all along strengthening him. I, I think that's what the writer of Hebrews has in mind when he says, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself. How did he, how did he suffer? How did he face these trials? How, how did he face such brutality? It was, it was through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus offered himself, through the Spirit. I'm going to run through these next ones really quickly for, for time's sake. Right? We see in Jesus' life the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus and his relationship. We see it in his death. It was the, the Spirit who strengthened him even to face such a brutal death. But, but more, Jesus was raised from death by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 tells us that, that, that it was the Spirit that raised Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18, same thing. Both of them state very clearly that Jesus didn't get up on his own. It was the Holy Spirit who gave him life, just like the Holy Spirit gives us this new life. And by the Spirit, he was raised. 
Jesus commanded the apostles by the Holy Spirit. This is in Acts chapter 1. When you read verses 1 and 2 as as, um, the letter is getting started from Luke, uh, he says that it was through the Spirit that Jesus commanded the disciples. And there's, there's some debate here on exactly what the Greek meant, whether it was the Holy Spirit speaking through Jesus or whether it was the Holy Spirit empowering the words of Jesus. I don't know technically which it was. But what I do know is this, the Holy Spirit was working with Jesus in the commands that he gave to the apostles. His commands to to spread the gospel and, and make his name known, those commands came with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was the instruction of the Holy Spirit inevitably. So, Jesus commanded the apostles by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need to take a five minute break. Because I feel like that was just so much. And, and I'm having to try to say it fast to you guys to get it all, all in. And, and honestly, if you, if you go back and read all of the Gospels and, and you're looking for it, we're just scratching the surface of what the Holy Spirit was like in the life of Jesus. Right? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Incredible. Incredible. So many more passages that we could talk about. What I really wanted you to see as we ran through those passages and talked about them, what I really wanted you to see is that Jesus walked with the Spirit. Right? From his, from his birth to his death and his resurrection, even to his ascension, Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit. They, they had a relationship together. Holy Spirit and, and, and Jesus had a relationship with one another. And in that relationship, we should see, as we talked about from the Old Testament last week, right? This was God with Jesus. This, this was the Father with Jesus, just like we talked about in the Old Testament. God with his people, pursuing his people, helping his people, giving his people the words to say. All of those things we see in the life of Jesus as well. Jesus, the second Adam, a human, walking in step with the Father by the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus walked in the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit in his life. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to do the work of the Father in the world that he was in. Jesus was strengthened in his weakness and in his suffering by the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God who gave him new life and raised him from death. The Spirit was a vital part of of all of Jesus' teaching and his communication with the apostles and even as he taught the masses. Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. Jesus trusted in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thank you again, Miss Val. Thank you. He trusted in the Holy Spirit. He, 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 He depended on the Holy Spirit. He followed the Holy Spirit wherever the Holy Spirit led. Jesus in the flesh, a human being, walked in the Spirit of God. Now, remember where we started this morning. First Adam, first Adam in the garden. Adam failed in the garden. He failed. He didn't trust. He didn't believe. He didn't follow. He didn't walk with God. Here we have in Jesus the second Adam in human flesh, the second Adam living perfectly. 
living perfectly the life that the first Adam was meant to live, and hear me, living perfectly the life that we are meant to live. More and more, if we are being shaped into the image of Jesus, this relationship with the Holy Spirit should be our relationship with the Holy Spirit. As Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit, we should walk with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? I mean, this is what it means to be in Christ. This is what it means to be sanctified. This is what it means to be shaped into his image. Walking with the Spirit as he did, that is walking with God. That is, that is, that is following him. I'm, 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 I'm guessing with some degree of confidence as we talk about how Jesus lived his life walking and following and trusting in the Holy Spirit, I am guessing that that does not describe most of our lives. Do you remember in week one, one of the practical applications for those of you who were with us as we talked about the theology week one of who the Spirit is, and the Holy Spirit is, is a person, who, not what, but, but, but one of the practical applications of that was because the Holy Spirit is a person, we can have a relationship with Him. And that's, that's why Jesus could walk with the Spirit like He did, because Jesus had a relationship with the Spirit. He had an ongoing relationship with the Spirit. So, so if we are not walking with the Spirit, loving and following and trusting, the real reason that we are not is because we don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, so what can we do to, to, to better our relationship with the Spirit? How, how, do we, how do we grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Here, here are a few things. I was reading this week, completely unrelated, but reading in, um, John 15. Uh, and Jesus is talking to his disciples there, and he's talking about abiding in him. Um, and, and I think the same applies not just to abiding in Jesus, but abiding in the Holy Spirit, abiding with the Holy Spirit. So as I read that, there were just several things that popped in my mind and stood out reading that. And the first one is this. If we want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a growing relationship with the Holy Spirit, we must be aware of the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, that's, that is, that's a no-brainer. We have to be aware of the Holy Spirit. Like any relationship, it starts with a, an awareness of the other person. For far too long, many of us have lived with no real awareness of the Holy Spirit. If we want to grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, then we have to think more about the Holy Spirit. Here's the second one. We must pursue the Holy Spirit. If we want to have a growing relationship with the Holy Spirit, we must be aware of the Spirit, and we must pursue the Holy Spirit. If you want to abide in Jesus, it is safe to say that you need to know Jesus. In John 15, where he's talking about abiding in him, he talks about his presence. Those aspects of who Jesus is, then you can't abide in him. And so you have, to, you have to pursue knowing him in order to abide in him. Listen, this is, 
this is really common sense. Like if, if you want to have a close relationship with a friend, the same thing is true. You have to pursue the friend. You have to get to know the friend. You have to, you have to know the things, all the things about the friend, right? You, you, you got to know their, their likes and their dislikes, their family, their, their history, their work, what they do, what they don't do, everything. This is true of Jesus. This is true of the Holy Spirit. You can't pursue a relationship with the Holy Spirit if you don't know the Holy Spirit. So we pursue the Holy Spirit. How do we pursue him? One way we pursue the Holy Spirit, we're doing it in this sermon series, is through the Word of God. That's where we know who the Holy Spirit is. This is where we learn the things that the Holy Spirit does, right? It's not just because we've heard it or, or, or someone does it. It's the Word of God. And so we have to be in the Word of God and, and, and pursuing the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, looking for Him, studying Him. We can also pursue the Holy Spirit through books about the Holy Spirit, and there are some really good books out there on the Holy Spirit. I'll be glad to share some of those with you, but, but books, good books about the Holy Spirit. We can talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, in our missional communities, I, I hope in this sermon series, that is the main thing that we're talking about is the Holy Spirit, but not just in, in this sermon series. Like It should become more and more a part of how we talk about God. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit with one another. We, we, we pray. We pray to know the Holy Spirit, right? We, we, we pray to the Father for, for, for more from the Holy Spirit. I, I, I hope that you know that you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You, you can speak to the Holy Spirit. Do. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask to know Him. Ask Him to make Himself known to you. Ask Him as you read the Bible to, to, to come to life in the Word of God so that you can see and know Him. Third thing here, we, we must communicate with the Holy Spirit. I know I was just talking about prayer. I'm going to say it again. Right? We, we have to communicate with the, with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit knows our heart. The Spirit knows our needs. Um, the Apostle Paul says the Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. When we don't even know in our grum to pray on our behalf. We'll see as we go through this sermon series that, that he comforts, he cares, he encourages, and more. If we want to grow in a relationship with him, just like in any relationship in our lives, there must be active and open communication. So we are, we are speaking to the Holy Spirit. We are praying to the Holy Spirit. And we, we saw just in a couple of passages, and there are more, the Holy Spirit speaks back. So we need, to, we need to listen as well, to not just speak, but to listen to the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, we must obey Holy Spirit. Jesus followed the Spirit. The Spirit said, go to the wilderness. What did Jesus do? Went to the wilderness. Even the Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit said, don't go into Asia. What did, the Holy, I mean, what did Paul do? Did not go into Asia. Philip listened, obeyed the Spirit. The Spirit came to Philip and said, hey, you see that chariot over there? I want you to go and talk to that guy. Philip said yes and went and did that. We have to obey the Spirit. Jesus even said when it comes to abiding in him, if you want to abide in him, you have to keep his commandments. 
Same is true of the Holy Spirit. If we want to abide with him, then we have to obey the Holy Spirit. After all, we said this um, uh, two weeks ago, because the Holy Spirit is one with the Father, because the Holy Spirit is God, then whatever he says is the word of God. Not obeying the Spirit is the same as not obeying God. The Holy Spirit is God, and we can't walk with him and go our own way. To walk with him We have to walk with him to recognize who he is and humbly follow. What did Jesus do? (laughs) Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit. Family, we, we, we have a beautiful gift in the Spirit. And being shaped into his image, we too should walk with the Spirit. I feel like in this series and even this morning, that's the Father's invitation to us. Will you walk with the Spirit? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your patience with us, for your kindness, for your grace, the grace that is ours in Jesus, but the grace that is ours in the presence of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we have ignored you, and yet you remain. Thank you. I pray for for us, including myself, that the words today are not just words for today. Holy Spirit, take this, plant it deep in our hearts, and grow our relationship with you. Make yourself known to us in, in, in beautiful ways. Make yourself known to us as we pray. Make yourself known to us as we, as we talk about you. Make yourself known to us as we, as, we read, as we read the word. Help us to see. Help us to see your beauty, the, 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 the beautiful gift that you are to us. Amen. And to love you more. Grow our relationship.